Come on, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, December 26, 2021. Look, for most people, yesterday was a day when you finally gathered with friends and family after all the preparation of making your house ready, of finding gifts, of buying gifts, of wrapping gifts, of then hiding those gifts. Hiding those gifts. It's finally time to enjoy fellowship and to get several plates of food, you know, eat too much food and, and sit around too much and open up all those gifts that you spent all those time purchasing. Is this, is this something you guys experienced yesterday? Just, just think back 24 hours ago, right? It was Christmas morning. Everyone is descending to that one location underneath the Hanukkah bush. And there, in the living room, you see a plethora of presents. And there is one present that just stands out among them all. I mean, it's a giant giant gift it's huge it's there uh, it can't even fit under the tree it has to go to the side of the tree and when you just had that first glimpse it's four times as big as every other present that is there and you're wondering something now you can't lie in church so as we go through this i think we're talking about you and, and me this morning you're wondering something secretly is this one for me? Right? I hope it's for me. I, I just, I see all those other presents and I'm sure they're fine, but the biggest one there, the giant gift under the tree, God, I hope it has my name on the tag. Well, it may look something like this. This is a picture of my living room yesterday. And literally, there's a giant gift that can't fit under the tree and off to the side. And as it was saying, I'm preaching to you and preaching to me this morning. When I descended, I'm going, oh, that's a really good present for somebody else. I mean, I kind of hope that's for me. I'm going to check out that name tag. It didn't turn out it was for me. So what happens next? You see the gift and you finally get to it. You realize that it is. It's got your name on the gift. You weren't even expecting it. Oh my gosh, they really shouldn't have. <laughs> Which means, of course, you're darn right you should have. You start tearing off the bow, you rip into the paper. Now, look, is there anybody here that, that does the meticulous, I'm just going to open it up and not tear the paper? Paul, come on, man, you got to get saved, bro. You just save you it just, for later. You just tear into it. There inside the giant box is a giant gift, one that you would have never expected. You didn't even ask for it. And as you take it out, you actually have this startling revelation that uh, it's not even something that you particularly want. It's not what you expected. Because the gift is going to require something of you that is difficult. It's hard fought. Might even be laborious, you might say. Now, I'm not talking about a stationary bike or a treadmill here that you open up. What we're talking about is something on a much, much larger scale. Turn with us to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And say the title to today's message as you're turning there. Giant Gifts. Giant Gifts. So we're going to start in Deuteronomy 7 and pick up in verse 20. Verse 20 starts with the word, moreover. Are you with me? It starts with moreover. Moreover. The Lord your God will send hornets among them. 
until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. What should happen is that you immediately recall from my Remember series the very significance of this passage. Is it bringing it back to memory for you guys? This is speaking of the leftover giants that are in your life, and particularly the ones that hide themselves from you. Church, we've all experienced times of God's favor, blessing, and victories, all the while we've been unaware of the leftover giants in our land. That's exactly the kind of season that we're in now. See, you got to notice in this verse that it is God who is sending the hornets among them and among us in this day. He's stirring up those giants so that they can come out of hiding. Who were they hiding from? They were hiding from you. They were hiding from me. See, God is stirring them up. And now there is a giant gift that has been given to you from the Father. See, these giants that are coming to the surface, that are coming out of hiding, they're actually a gift from our God to you. And we're going to show you that throughout the day. Come on, just to make sure you're with us this morning, say giant gift. Giant gift. This is the only perspective that we are to have when God is bringing into our full view the leftovers that he wants us to deal with. It's a giant gift. It's not a cause of dread or a dreadmill. I mean, treadmill. This is a giant gift because it is displaying that he is in our midst and that he, our father, is ready to give us victory over these leftover giant gifts. Church, you can't let your lying eyes deceive you. When you see a giant rise up in your land, when you see him rise up in your heart, when you see him rise up in the circumstances that you're going through, you have to know. Everybody say, I know. I know. It is a good and a perfect gift from the Lord. It is a giant gift to you that has come down to you from the Father of lights. There should be no shifting of your disposition, no shadow of despair, and no sullenness of your demeanor. None. See, you have to have a joyful reception. Yes. You see that giant start to stand up, and you're like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, he keeps standing up. Oh, wow, that's a big giant. Yeah, that's why they're called giants, folks. But it is a giant gift to you, and your attitude has to be one that says, ha, what a joyful time this is. I can joyfully receive a good, a perfect, a giant gift from my Father. This is something that he has for my good. Something for your good. You know, what we want you to get this morning is the joyful reception of these giant gifts. Because it reflects on something. In fact, many, many moons ago, when I was somewhere around the age of seven years old, my favorite uncle gave me a gift. And it was precious because it was coming from him. I was excited. I did the same thing. I ripped the paper off. I opened it up. And it was this, uh, this visor cap that was uh, blue plastic in the bill. And it had my name written in ink or, or the, the paint pen. And it had a battery that mounted on the side so that all the lights would light up around, around the edge. I wish I had that moment back in how I responded. From my most prized relationship in our family with my uncle, I threw a fit. 
I threw a fit. I despised it. I was like, oh, this sucks. I hate this gift. It came out of my mouth. And this is in front of my entire family, about 25 people in all. And they're all staring at me because I'm the baby of the family. And I looked up and saw my uncle's face and he was heartbroken. And I wish at that moment I could take that moment back. So look, when we despise the revealing of giants in us, we are actually despising the one who is giving us the gift. And it's oftentimes it will not be directed at God himself. But instead, it will be directed at brothers and sisters who are the ones delivering it to you. But this is getting to our hearts this morning. Because God was so faithful to give us instruction in how to detect and write down the leftovers in our land from the Remember series. Now we're pushing a bit forward and using exactly what we experienced yesterday to check our hearts and our attitudes of what we're going to do with those things. There's nothing quite like being a parent and giving your child a gift and realizing that they have no desire for it whatsoever. They'd rather play with the paper. They'd rather play with the box. They'd rather do anything but actually partake in the gift that you've given. What Pastor just said is incredibly important to us today. See, what our aim as, what our aim today is, as your pastors, is for us all to have a change of attitude about the good, perfect, giant gift yes. that God is giving to us. Amen. We want you to recognize that he wants you to win. The reason that the giant is being brought about now is because God has sent hornets to stir it up. So now is the time. Yeah. Today is the day for you to find victory over these things, not lament it and actually be despising the one who gave you the gift. See, God wants us to mature. Everybody say, I want to be mature. I want to be mature. And be fully rid of those giants that are opposing you because they're not just opposing you. They're not just in your land. They're opposing what God is doing in our midst because they are your enemies. They are actually his enemies, and he is desiring to use you to kill those giants in the land. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 together, and we're going to look at verse 10. Say giant gifts as you're turning. Therefore, my brothers... Be all the more eager, all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, did you hear in this passage to be all the more eager? You know what this really means? To be joyfully receptive of his giant gifts being given to us. When we do this, there is nothing hidden, nothing secretive inside of us that we are unaware of. When we joyfully allow the Father to reveal this, it is how we gain greater surety in what we are called to do. And greater surety in our chosen position as sons who will inherit the kingdom from their father. Do you see how the scripture says, for if you do these things, see, when you do these things that we're talking about, you can be confident. We can be confident that we will not fall, but we're going to, we're not going to fail to find victory in what's going on. Instead, you're going to see your giants fall. 
See, you're not going to fall. Your giants are going to fall. And that's going to allow us to further equip to be building each other up as each one does his work. See, more than just pointing out to you the only attitude that you're to have. Did y'all catch that in what Pastor Matt said earlier? The only attitude you should have when you see the giant is one of joyfulness, is one that's excited about what God is doing. We also want to show you how to rightfully find victory when receiving these giant gifts from the Father. Y'all ready to have some victory today? Yes. Turn with us to 2 Kings chapter 13, and we are going to share with you some gems that the Lord has given us. Are you guys like me where, as we're saying, the only attitude to have is one of joyful reception? It's hitting a little bit close to home in your heart. You're thinking about all the times, let's just say since last May, last Mother's Day, whenever step three of the Remember series that involves leftovers was preached. And as these things are coming up, the response is much different than the one of saying, thank you, Jesus, for bringing to the surface all of these fears that I have. The fear of making medical decisions, the fear of preaching, the fear of inadequacy, Yada, 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 whatever those things may be. But that joyful reception of this is what I always wanted is the exposure of this inside of me. That is the right attitude. That is the overcoming and victorious attitude that God has destined for you to have since the revelation of what it really is. Well, 2 Kings 13 is going to show us the how in carrying this out. Verse 15. And Elijah said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. Sounds like he's being pretty obedient so far, right? And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Boo. Yeah, everybody should say boo. Boo. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. See, church, the Lord has showed us, shown us seven action items from this passage that we're going to share with you. It's the way to find victory in your life and in my life today. Somebody say today. Today. See, this is not a throwaway kind of service. It's the day after we actually have a word from the Lord and we know we can feel it in our spirit. More than trying to have something that is perfectly crafted, we know that God has given us a gift and it is our desire to share it with you this morning. He has given us a giant gift in this place. In 2 Kings 13 and verse 15, it says this. Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. The very first thing that we have to understand, the very first thing that we have to get a grasp on is what the bow and the arrows are for us today that we're supposed to take hold of. 
be one thing to say take hold of something and you not understand clearly what that is. Uh, where's Adam? Adam. Adam shared a verse today that I think is a perfect verse. Instead of sharing it out of Psalms when he was praying with the kids, I'm going to share it to you out of 2 Samuel 22. Let's all turn there. 2 Samuel 22 and verse 35. It says this. Say giant gifts as you're turning there. Look at what this says. Adam, right on the mark, my man. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. That God, what God is doing here, you can see throughout the word of God that when you're talking about a bow of bronze, that bronze there, hermeneutically speaking, when you see what bronze represents, if you've been in a ministry training one class, you know that how to study and find these things out. But when you see bronze, what you should be thinking is judgment. You should be thinking God's judgment upon someone or something is signified by the bronze. And so what is then a bow of bronze? The bow is something as a means of propulsion to deliver God's judgment. Everybody understand that? The bow of bronze that your arms are being trained to bend today. What Elisha told the king of Israel to do was to take a bow and arrows, to take something that could deliver God's righteous judgment exactly when God was speaking it. Everybody say the bow, the bow is God's judgment. God's judgment. In that process of just imagining a bow of bronze, right? I know we're not talking about some, some type of uh, hardwood or even a plastic that is rigid. We're talking about a bow of bronze. This is rightly grasping the means of propulsion that then an arrow goes inside of. And just a side note, Adam, I want to encourage you. You hear from God. That scripture that you came across that's parallel to the one in 2 Samuel 22 ought to give you immense courage that God speaks to you. And it may even be just the nudges that he gives you, but the nudges are right. The nudges are his voice speaking to you. And I think we can all agree that Adam's arms can really bend a true bow of bronze. Well, you have that bow of bronze, and what you also have in this passage are arrows. I want to show you a slide of Isaiah 49, verse 2 in the CJB, because I, I just I liked its wording much better. It says, he has made my mouth like a sharp sword while hiding me in the shadow of his hand. He has made me like a sharpened arrow while concealing me in his quiver. Now, some of your translations, the NIV, NASB, ESV, may all say polished. But here's the thought and idea where sharpened is a more finer point about the descriptor of this. And that is it means to purify, to select, to bring to a finished state that is ready for use. Well, let's, go, let's take this idea of having a sharpened arrow and we're going to attach to it the function of revelation. Meaning that as you engage God's word, his word comes alive and gives you revelation. Understanding of who God is and what he wants you to do with his word. Well, there's a process that happens here. And Pastor Ray's going to walk you through it. So 
Just think about what it takes to get a revelation from the Lord. You're going through a difficult time. You begin to cry out to the Lord, and what happens? He gives you revelation. He, he gives you something precious, man. And you're like, yes, let me share this revelation with everyone. Look, look what happened. There's some enjoyment, and there's accomplishment because you get to present a revelation. Man, it feels like an accomplishment, but what is the real accomplishment about the arrow of revelation that God gives you? See, it has to be tested. It has to be tested and purified and perfected in your practice. You have to sharpen that arrow. You have to hone that in. You have to work with that. See, because what is the revelation for? The revelation, this arrow of revelation that God has is so that your character can be refined. It's not just getting a revelation. Wow, this is really neat. I got an arrow. Look. The whole point of it is, is that it is being sharpened on the inside of you, that it changes your character, that it changes what you do. It is not a revelation for you to have it and it not impact your character. It's just information that you got. I'll go ahead and say it again. It's not revelation until it's actually at work in your life being sharpened. Hmm. Otherwise, you've just heard religious information if it hasn't impacted your character yet. You have an arrow, but it can't fly straight. You have an arrow, but it is not sharp enough to pierce not even your own heart at this moment. Wow. See, and this is what God is doing. He is sharpening arrows. He is sharpening and purifying. He's selecting, and he is causing a purity to come in the practice of what he is giving us, church. Yeah. Did anybody catch in what pastor said? The Remember series, the one that we're referencing today, was on Mother's Day. First of all, I love that my church had a Mother's Day sermon that was on Remember number three. It was exactly what we needed. But it's one thing for you to hear a revelation back in May. And it's another thing for you to start putting it into practice. It's another That's thing for you, to, for, for you to go, wait, I have an arrow, but I didn't sharpen this one. Exactly. I mean, I heard about the Remember series. I mean, I did some of the homework, kind of, a little bit. It's another thing for you to go, wait a minute, I have an arrow in my quiver. I have revelation that God is trying to sharpen because there's a giant out there that needs to fall. This is where we are today, church. Since we're in Isaiah 49, let us show you the larger context of this verse so you understand what the sharpened arrow is in context of. We're going to read this in the ESV. Listen to me, O coastlands. And give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished or sharpened arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Look, the whole point of this first item is for you to get a firm grasp of God's judgment that comes from God's word of revelation about your function. That's what we see being displayed here in verses 1 through 4 of Isaiah 49. It doesn't matter what your judgment is. God's judgment has to be supreme. It doesn't matter what your word is. 
His word has to reign supreme. And when they're coupled together, now you have the ability to have right judgment of using his word. Church, do you remember that this verse was given in prophecy just a few days ago to us? Yeah. How many of you honestly remember that? We're going to try to help you. If you didn't, it's okay. We're making the connection now for you to help you. We're sharpening this arrow. See, a prophecy that came forth from Elder Eric was about that people in this room have said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing, and it's all been vanity. But what the Lord has said is something different than the way that we are feeling in the room. Yes. It's a revelation, but what we're trying to do is sharpen it today so that we can use it rightly. Amen. See, we're addressing the very things that are causing us to not want to engage in the battle, to not be joyful when we see the giant because we become afraid. We're actually addressing the very things that are going to give us victory today. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Let's look at verse 16 of back in, um, in Kings. Back in Kings in verse 16, 2 Kings 13 in verse 16, it says this. Then he said to the king of Israel, now draw the bow, and he drew it. So he first was told to take a bow and arrow in his hands. Take that godly judgment. Take those arrows that are being sharpened of revelation. And then what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to draw the bow. You've got to actually start to add some tension to the revelation and to the vehicle of God's judgment. But how do you add tension when you draw the bow? What is the direction? You extend your arm out. And then you draw the bowstring where? To your heart. If you've ever seen a professional archer, they'll put it right against their face. What is this talking about? It's one thing to have God's judgment. It's another thing to have revelation. And these are in tandem. It's an entirely different thing for us to come and have it first be drawn back towards our own heart. Towards our own face. Towards us first. Yes. To begin to apply the word of God and his judgment to us first. What good is a bow If you have not drawn the string useless, it is a useless item for you to be holding something and no tension on the string. You have to firmly grasp God's judgment. You have to pull it close to your heart. Say my heart, my heart. You have to pull it close to your face. Say my face, my face, because it causes tension. Some people don't like that part of this process. Why would you think that the man of God, Elisha, would go to the king of Israel and say, grab the bow and arrows. Now draw it. Because you can't skip this step because you don't like what the tension feels like. You have to have that judgment and revelation first applied to you. Let me tell you what an undrawn bow looks like inside of us. Can I tell you that real quick to help us out? Please. Some of it is us echoing what Isaiah 49, 4 said. That I feel like all of this is vanity. I feel like this is, I've labored in vain. It's when we focus on the other person instead of applying it to us first. Here I go, I'm going out to battle. That is not intimidating at all. That's ridiculous looking. Now you're just posing with no, if you're just holding the arrow out with no tension on the bow, you're just posing. What is going on here is when we focus on others. When we focus on someone else and what they did in the situation, when we focus on the situation itself and you're not actually applying it to your own heart and to your own face first, you have an undrawn bone. 
It is absolutely useless. It's a decorative piece. Not only can it, it not reach its target, the only thing that happens is that that revelation that God did give you would just fall right there in front of your feet. It does not accomplish what God has designed for it. Well, some of the practical ways in this, this carries out. An undrawn bow that focuses on the person and the situation first, that basically is going to alleviate your tension, it begins to predict what their reaction is. If I really do draw this back and apply it to me first, then this is what I'm going to say. This is how they're going to reply. Everything's going to blow up and not have the outcome that I would like for it to be. You're anticipating their responses. You're predicting their outcome. And ultimately, here's what it always gets to. You're predicting their failure and or your failure if you really do put this revelation under tension of God's judgment and let it fly. See, we have to love that place. Be joyful in the fact that God gives us the opportunity to be under tension with his judgment and his word being applied to us first. Because that's the only means by which that revelation is going to find the force to propel through the air and actually have effectual impact on the, our giants. You can't run away from the tension. This has to be step number two where you begin to apply that tension and you apply it to you first. Yep. What would the other way that you could even get the arrow there? If you're not going to pull back the bow, I guess you could just grab the arrow and try to throw it. Can I tell you that that's pretty lame looking? <laughs> that, that, that idea, oh, wait a minute. Sometimes we don't like the tension or other times we just decide that with our own force, not with God's vehicle of a judgment, but with our own force, I'm just going to throw this at somebody. Wow. How effective are you going to be as an archer there if you're going to literally throw the arrow at someone? It takes too long to draw back the bow. I have to wait on God in that tension spot in order for it to go. I mean, I just, I can't waste any time. We got to deal with this right now. Set that bow aside and just chunk that arrow right at somebody. I know where God wants this to go. I'm just going to make it happen myself. See, God has given us a process to do this. He starts with his judgment and the revelation that you have, and there's a process to draw it. Let me read to you out of Psalm 21 and verse 8. Listen to this. Your hand will lay hold on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. At the time of your appearing, you will make them like a fiery furnace. In his wrath, the Lord will swallow them up and his fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth, their posterity from mankind. Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. For you will make them turn their backs when you aim at them with drawn bow. You are not intimidating to have a bow that is not drawn. You are not intimidating to have a bow in one hand and be throwing the arrow from the other. <laughs> what causes the enemies to turn their backs is when you aim at them, having God's righteous judgment, having his arrow of revelation, and you add the tension to personal application yes. so that that thing can launch out and actually defeat the enemy. This is what God is doing in our midst, and the story continues in, in 2 Kings. So the last half of verse 16 in 2 Kings 13. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. Look, in the very, uh, very broad perspective of what God is doing in our body, 
right now and will be doing for next year is the body building itself up in love as each part does its own work. That men of understanding are drawing out of the deep waters of men's heart are drawing back the bow of God's righteous judgment that will propel the sharpened word for the right time. Now, think about this. What you have is a situation where you have a king. He's being instructed by a prophet. And the, the, the imagery is that the prophet comes over and puts his hand on top of the king's hands. Though he was a king, he still needed guidance. Meaning that this, this can happen in, in both directions. Let's first put you in the category of the king that needs the prophetic guidance and counsel, where you need to be seeking this prophetic guidance and counsel. Yes, you may have a drawn bow of God's judgment and his revelation, but you still need prophetic insight from an experienced leader. Now, you may also be that one, the position that God wants to use to give that prophetic, prophetic guidance. And when you see someone that is rightly holding and grasping God's judgment and revelation, do not hesitate to step in and use the prophetic guidance from God's word to help them out. The body needs each other to build itself up in love, in this case, prophetic guidance. Because you're a group of people who love the Lord, we're just going to be very plain with you and very direct with you. The opposite of perfect, prophetic guidance is a sympathetic kind of guidance that we can long for that we can actually secretly want to have. 2 Timothy 4, 3. Let me put this on the screen and read this with you. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. How do we fall prey to this in our church? This is not something that we want to do, but this right. is clearly something that we have to be careful of because it took the king of Israel. He needed Elisha to put his hands on top of his hands. Elisha's hands on the king's hands had to be done. That process requires this of us. See, when you have, when you're desiring sympathetic guidance, you're, you're trying to have things based on your own desires. I already have this desire. Let me find someone who will tell me what I already want to hear. Yeah. Let me go to the person that I think would be most sympathetic to my particular situation. Yep. Our children do it to parents when the parents aren't very good at being parents yet. They know they can ask mom one thing because if they ask dad, they might get a no. Or maybe it's the opposite. They know if they ask dad, they get what they want. Whichever version of this, you start learning somebody and you're trying to get an answer and it's indicated by who you're choosing to ask the question to. Yeah. We've all done this, haven't we? Yes. You decided that you picked Matt over Wade because Matt is just so much nicer of a human being than Wade is. <laughs> Understanding, compassionate. We've, we've. We understand what goes on here, and we're telling you that you cannot be asking for, you cannot be desiring sympathetic guidance. What happens is it creates an echo chamber of your own bad ideas and bad advice. It does. I'm afraid that if I take this to, to Pastor Nick, Pastor, stare into my sola, Nicola, here, 
if I bring it to him and I'm really kind of uncertain and I don't really have a word, he may tell me something that I don't want to hear. So I'm going to go talk to my brother over here about this. Who's not as discerning and may even have the same kind of issue that I do. So we can join together in sympathetic speech. Let's see, his weakness is just like mine. Let me ask him the same question so that I can continue in my own echo chamber of my thoughts. See, that's not you taking the giant gift that's been brought to you. Yeah. Of understanding what God is doing. This is selfish. It's earthly. And we've all done it. Can somebody say amen? amen. But we're not going to continue to do this. We're actually going to drag it in the light and be joyful because we're like, oh, you're right, pastor. I do that all the time. I've done that to you. I've done, oh man, thank you so much for bringing this up. It may have been a giant in my own heart, but you're helping me to see it so I can put this thing down. I want the righteous judgment that God has. I want his revelation. See, it's a giant gift. When you fight for your own victimhood. Pastor, if you only understood, if you... You just don't understand. The reason you think differently is because you just don't understand. If you understood more, if you had more information, then you would think like I think. Or, <laughs> or we won't allow you to fight for the victimhood that you're trying to stay in. How about that? We want you to be liberated from the offense that you walk around in. We want you to be set free because it's a giant and he's going to try to take your land. But we know how to give you the answer. God is giving us the solution. Yeah. And it's to stay away from sympathetic guidance. To stay away from victimhood. You have an entire world around you that tells you that you're not strong enough. And we have a God who says, I am with you. I have given you my bow. I'm giving you my arrows. Now draw that thing Amen. and get ready to do what I needed you to do. Let the man of God put his hands on your life and let you actually begin to learn how to be victorious. I've given you a giant gift. Come on now. We're not going to be those that, that are seeking after sympathetic no. guidance. That's not us. We're not going to wallow in victimhood. We're not going to stay in the mire and the muck of offense and just kind of settle on down in it. We're going to rid ourselves of these things exactly as God is prescribing today. You know what's happening in this house? Why this word is so pertinent and relating to the giants? It's because this is what's been popping up left and right in our entire church, in our own lives. We're preaching from a place of real-time experience with this. And God is such a good father that we are seeing it for what it really is. It's a giant gift so that we can actually deal with these things. We are sick and tired, and so is our Father, of us having to go around that same loop again to come to that same giant and fall on our face, and particularly in relating to guidance, that even though we had the right judgment and right word, we were not seeking the true prophetic guidance. That we need to seek out God's voice through those around us that bear witness to what we need to do with this drawn bow in Revelation. 1 Timothy 4, 14. Let me read it to you. Out of NIV 84. Do not neglect your gift. Let me say this another way. Do not neglect your giant gifts. 
which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Victory. Having the body of elders, prophetic voice and leadership oversee what you do guarantees that not only will you have an end to those giants, but you're going to help others have end to their giants. It'll both save you and your hearers. Come on. We have to love this tension of the drawn bow. And seek out the impartation of authority and direction to hold on to the truth of God's judgment and revelation. This is an important point. You cannot vacillate. With that drawn bow and seeking prophetic guidance, you cannot vacillate from what God has already said and given you. That's why prophetic guidance is so important. It's reminding you, hey, don't lessen the tension on that truth. Don't dig up that deep conviction. Don't rewrite history in favor of what you're dealing with in that giant right now. Stand on your convictions and don't you let up that tension. Not one millimeter, Amen. not one inch. Amen. See, it's not just about hearing words, church. This church has the most prophetic words given amongst each other to each other from each other of any place that I've ever seen. It's actually accepting the direct oversight that God is giving you. Yeah. Someone's hands being laid on top of your hands, giving you, what is that supposed to do? It's supposed to give you assurance yeah. that you have the strength to hold that God given judgment, to hold that revelation. It's going to assist you in being able to aim in the right direction. Yes. Thank God that we get to actually aim this now in the right direction. Look at verse 17 in 2 Kings 13. After these things, he said, open the windows eastward. And, and he opened it. It is now time to take aim at the giant. That eastward flow, you understand hermeneutically speaking, that, that from the garden forward, that when men were going away from God, they moved to the east. So what were you doing? You're opening up that window and you are aiming at the giant that is in your land. See, once you've been given a bow of judgment, you have that arrow of divine revelation. You're standing in the tension of drawing that bow and applying it to your heart, to your face first. You have prophetic, supernatural guidance so that you can take aim at the right place. That you're aiming at the actual giant, not at your brother's. Not at the messenger who was telling you. You're actually aiming it where it needs to be. You're aiming it at your enemy, not at the messenger who is telling you where to shoot. It is time for us to do this, church. This church, we are doing this every day, and God is bringing it to our attention so we can do it better right here and right now. Hold your place there in 2 Kings. Let me read to you out of Joshua 17 that carries this same attitude. But Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. You will, not only, you will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. 
Clear it and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have iron chariots and though they are strong, you can drive them out. You know what Joshua is doing? He's saying, open that window eastward and aim in that direction. Quit looking for something else that is either already cleared or doesn't have the giants dwelling in them. And just saying you don't have enough of purpose in the kingdom. You don't have enough ministry opportunities. You don't have what it takes to become what LCM is. No, that's an absolute lie across the board. You have everything right here in front of you. And what the Father is giving you is a giant gift to get off your butt and go get it. That it is yours. He's promised it to you. But you have to do something with it. This is an incredible time for us as a church because God is stirring up some hornets. He's given us an open window of opportunity. He's stirring up with the hornets the giants that we need to take down and take out. Look how the passage in 2 Kings 13 continues on. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. Do you realize that those other steps are just in preparing to actually do what the bow and arrow were supposed to be doing? Now it's time to shoot the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. Come on now. The point of taking aim is to take action. The reason that you take aim, the reason that you're making sure you're not going to have friendly fire, you got to get pointed towards the enemy, is so you then can take action on this. Yeah. See, unless you actually take action, you have no effectual change. The giant in your land does not die until you learn how to shoot. You're sounding like a people. I know we're just, we're physically sick. I get it. But if you're not careful... You're sounding like a people who have no giants in the land. I'm telling you they're there. You know they're there. We're helping you. If you don't learn how to shoot, that giant is not going to die. This is the point of building to this, of this stage. Is you have to send that revelation propelled not by your own arm, but by God's judgment, by his device to send and propel judgment. You have to send that thing down range. You actually have to have the faith to just shoot. Amen. Ready? Aim. Aim. Okay, reset. Ready? Aim. Fire! You got to put something down range. Everything else is building up to this moment that you have to take action. Yeah. You've got to let the, that revelation of God be propelled in your life. You've got to let it go down range because you can't see it be effective until you do. It's what produces the momentum, the forcefulness to advance in what God is doing. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? No. Does he promise no. and then not fulfill? No. He does not. You know the answer to those rhetorical questions. And if we are like him, what does that mean for us? That means we cannot speak and then not act. It means that we cannot promise God has spoken this to me. Then you better get about the business of acting. Amen. Get on it. Take action in what God is doing in your life. And you're going to start to see. These are the beginning steps of seeing the victory that he's saying. The Lord's arrow of victory. 
Yeah, do you guys get that? So he said, hey, open the east window, shoot. He shot the Lord's arrow of victory, their victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Assyrians in Aphek until you have made an, an end of them. That, that initial shot, that releasing of that arrow revelation downrange in the heart of God's giant is only the beginning. There is more to actually do. So just having one scripture in one moment that knocked down one giant on your list of seven, that's not complete victory. That's not putting an end to them. That there's more that has to, action has to be taken. Look at verse 18. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. So he shot one arrow. Now he is putting in his hand all the remaining arrows because there's more giants to go kill. You know what this begins to speak of? It speaks of the fact that the kingdom is advanced by violent, forceful men who neither sleep nor slumber because their God does not sleep nor does he slumber. You can't loosen your grip or set aside the sharpened revelations and words that are meant for full victory both now and for the future. You have to ready your revelation. It can't just sit in the back of your mind. It can't sit in the recesses of your one note or a notebook on the shelf that you'd never pull out and look at on a repeated basis. He's telling this, this king, he's, he's directing him, take those revelations and have them at the ready in your hand because I have more conquering, more victory, more slaying of giants inside of you yet to do. Let us give you the practical understanding of this. It's one thing to have a mezuzah. It's another thing to be walking in your mezuzah. It's another thing to be like, yeah, family banner. Yeah, that's great. And you're not living in it day to day. Take it in your hand. Where is that in your life? Oh, I know, I know where it is in my family. Literally, I have it in a nice display. Probably Susie gave us some beautiful thing using her incredible God-given gifts, and it is beautifully, ornately arranged in my house so I can look at it as I gently walk by. These are arrows. They're made for war. If I'm not launching them downstream, what is going on? They're not made for your wall. They're made for the battle. Amen. you got to be putting these things into practice. How about your remembers? Are you remembering regularly what God has done? Or do you need to take that arrow and put it back in your hand? Where is it? I don't know. I laid it on the ground. I stuck it in the dirt. I mean, I kind of know where it is. I kind of know the one note that I can go to. Maybe it's in the quiver behind me. I'm not sure. Put it in your hand. Amen. What about that marriage teaching that you need to be revisiting constantly? What about that ministry training that was not for you to accomplish a class, but for it to be in your daily life? Yes. What about the revelation that God has given? I just don't have enough revelation. <laughs> Not a man or a woman in, or a child in this room is ever allowed to say that. <laughs> I'm going to punch you in your throat if I hear you saying that. He will. I will. I'll do it. I'll do it, Nolan. Don't make me do it. Listen to what Jeremiah 50 and verse 14 says. Set yourselves in array against Babylon all around. All you who bend the bow. Yep. Shoot at her. Spare no arrows. Woo. 
for she has sinned against the Lord. This is God bringing judgment on Babylon. But here's what I want to talk to you about. You can't negotiate with the giant. You can't go and sign a peace treaty with the enemy that's been plaguing you since the beginning that God is sending and stirring up right now. You cannot have compromise to the very things that want to kill and destroy yeah. you. Come on. This is not a time for us to think nice warm thoughts. Peace on earth. Yes, God will give peace as in shalom, as in the ones who can make right order with God. For those who have a good will towards him, he is for them. He is not for those who are wicked. God is not for your enemies. See, what he is for is for you to defeat your enemies. It's time to stand up, church. Stop negotiating. Stop placating. Stop signing peace treaties because it's all just compromise. Because you're afraid you can't beat the giant. Instead of looking at him and going, ha ha, this is a giant gift. Yeah. This dude is going down. And everyone that are like him, all of his brothers are going to go down too. We're going to knock them all down because we're not going to allow compromise in our hearts at all. I want to make sure this is clear to you guys. We're, we're talking about the giants in your land. The giants in your heart. We're not talking about specific people, specific situation of conquering them. This is about what that interaction brings up inside of the hidden recesses areas of your own heart. See, this is about God giving you a giant gift of revealing what's actually inside of you that was hiding from you. And now you have the readied revelation to completely put an end to what has been cycling over and over again your entire life. Well, when it says in this passage in Jeremiah, spare no arrows, we have a slide for you that illustrates this. The word is hamal, Strong's number 2550. It's a verb meaning to have pity, to show pity, to have compassion, to spare. It expresses pity or compassion towards something or someone, a child or other persons. He's saying, do not Spare. Do not show pity. Have compassion. Unleash every arrow that I have given you because the goal is to put a complete end to these giants. And what begins to happen? There is an enticement to negotiate through compassion, through sympathy. You know, this giant may not be really as bad as it is. Because, you know, so-and-so has this same giant, and I don't really see any problems in their life. They, they're doing great. Maybe I'll just kind of turn my back and ignore it, or feed it some food, and it'll go back to its corner in the hill country of my heart. No. God is saying to us, spare no arrows. Get rid of the pity and the compassion on your giants because they have destined themselves to annihilate you. But God has ordained for you to completely put an end to them. Spare no arrows. Look at 2 Kings 13 and verse 18 as it continues. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. You're not in battle just to send one arrow down range. You are in battle. You are at war Amen. to put an end to your giants. 
That is the giant gift that God has given. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. You have been given a giant gift, church. You've been given a giant gift in these giants coming up in your land. And you got to be joyful, but you got to be violent about it. You cannot have any pity. You have to keep going until this thing has been put to an end. This is what God is doing in our midst, church. You got to actually demonstrate the faith that you will apply his judgment. Apply all of the revelation, every arrow, sparing no arrows, as many times as it takes. Say that with me. As many Many times times as as it it takes takes. until the enemy is put down. Just because you're used to the giant in your land doesn't mean that God wants the giant to stay. That's why he's stirring it up. That's why he's stirring it up is so you can get after it and get rid of it. Finally. Amen. Finally. Let hope rise in your heart. You can finally get rid of some things that you thought were just supposed to be there your whole life. God is saying, finally, you can put an end to this. Finally, you can get victory. Finally, you're going to win in areas that you didn't think that you could. That is why you were in warfare. He struck the ground three times. The man of God said, you could have gone at least twice as far. You could have gone at least twice as far as you did. Well, I've tried. I'm bad. You could go twice as far as what you think you can. Yeah. Man, I'm kind of tired. I hit the ground a hole three times. You're barely 50% there. Do you still have arrows? Well, yeah. Well, then keep striking the ground. Then keep launching them out. I mean, I've gone an acceptable distance, right? I mean, actually, you know, now that I think about it, I've gone further than most. How far do you have to go, church? What does the Bible say? All the way until you've made an end of it. That's when you know that you can stop. When that enemy is in a coffin in the ground. When that giant has his head cut off, that's when you can stop with that giant and start on the next giant. It was not wrong of Elisha to be angry with the king. Elisha was right to be mad. Seems kind of simple, huh? Except when we're showing pity, we think that mad being someone being mad or, or enraged at wicked behavior is the one who should be corrected. No, it's right to be angry. It's right to go, wait a minute, we can go further than this. Let a fire get up in your belly so that you'll do something about it. It wasn't wrong of Elisha to be mad at the king. It was wrong of the king to be faithless in the midst of God giving him a giant gift. Yeah. Let's not be like the king of Israel here. Let's not stop halfway. Let's go all the way until we make an end of these enemies. We have a slide to help us as we're summarizing and working towards a close. Everybody say thank you, pastor, for that. When God has given you giant gifts, we've laid out seven items, seven steps of how to encounter and engage. One, you got to have a firm grasp of God's judgment and his revelation. Nothing other besides what comes from him. Number two, you apply it to your heart first. Everybody say your heart first. My heart first. first. Yeah. In addition to that, 
You seek prophetic guidance. This allows you then to take right aim at your giants. Then you take action. And after taking that bold step of action initially, ready your revelation for more action. And here's the most important part. Don't stop until you win. I can say we have sat with many of you guys, and we have strengthened you with this prophetic guidance. We have given you aim and direction of what to do. But the reason that we keep coming around to the same issue over and over again is because you didn't stop until you won. You gave up too soon. You gave in too early. You threw in the towel, and this is too difficult. We are encouraging this morning, LCM, you have what it takes to go and destroy these things until the end. One of the reasons that our church is doing as well as it is is because we have had stacked up decades of doing this with one life, one family, and one nation at a time. Pushing you further than what you think you can go, and now you're sitting here reaping the benefits of us pushing you further than what you thought you could go. Revelation 12, 17 says this. Then the dragon became furious and the woman, uh, I'm sorry, with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Everybody say, we are at war. We are at war. On those who keep the commands of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Church, we have to continue to hold on to this. We have to take all the revelation that God has given us, and we just keep striking it against the ground until there's an end that's been made to the enemy. That's what the real body of Christ does. That's what you do. That is what you are known for, and we're challenging you to say, ha ha, praise God, he's showing us and giving us a giant gift. We've got to keep going. We've got to press in. We can't let how we're feeling pull us away from what we know is true. We can't let what we're seeing cause us to be afraid. We're actually going to lean into it. We're going to hold on to the testimony. We're going to hold on to the revelation. We're going to press on in no matter how we feel, no matter what we think, because we've been given something that's precious, and it is worth us fighting and dying for but we are going to live through this we're going to live through what we're in and God is going to help us to be victorious because he's got victory in store for us let's take a look at our last scripture just don't turn your Bibles we're going to put on the screen I want y'all's attention and face up here this is important Proverbs chapter 2 starting in verse 7 I'm going to read this to you out of the 84 NIV he holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. The attitude that we are all gaining this morning is that our Heavenly Father is holding victory in store for you. And it is coming to you in the form of a giant gift. Meaning that that revelation of what is still yet unconquered in you is the means of how he's holding victory in store for you. Don't let your lying eyes deceive you this morning, church. This is a good and perfect gift, a giant perfect gift coming down from our Father of the heavenly lights. This has come down to you from him, and there should be no change from a joyful disposition about it. 
There should be no wallowing in despair in regards to this. There should only be the joyful reception of the giant gift because now you can see it for what it really is. And now you are prepared to actually do something about it. We need to change our attitudes and our hearts this morning and possess an attitude of gratitude towards our Father. And one that overflows with an abundance of joy regarding the giant leftovers in our land. So everybody stand to your feet now. Prepare your hearts to engage with his presence and receive that joyful expectation of the giant gift. But this is going to require something of you. It's going to require you to take an honest assessment of where your heart has been. How you have responded when the Father has given you a giant gift. you got to repent from not having a joyful, victorious outlook on the giant gifts that he's taken you. That he's given you. You have to take aim and take action with a joyful response. you got to repent of vacillation and second guessing. Having a faithless display of what God has already given you. There's there's more victory to be had. You have in your hands the revelations that will defeat these giants that God is bringing up in front of your face. Hold on to these revelations. Ready these revelations. They are your source of victory over these things. Don't set them aside. And then... You will rise from this altar and demonstrate your repentance by possessing a tenacious, victorious, and joyful attitude. We want you to view these days right now as giant gifts from your Heavenly Father. Mighty God, we come before you. Lord, we thank you for giving us the keys to victory. Lord, we thank you that you are sending the hornet to stir up giants and give us giant gifts in this place. Lord, may we take and take the arrows, propel them through your judgment, Lord, and be victorious over the giants in our land. In Jesus' name.